What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up and coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. If that sits well with you, sit back, grab a beverage, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC, and we got a special episode. This is pretty much our end-of-the-year wrap-up episode uh, for 2022. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened last year, a little bit about what's coming up in the future. And, uh, you know, I want to introduce everybody. So we got a few people on here. First, of course, I got the co-host, Locke. Like say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up, y'all? Okay. Next, we got reoccurring guests. We got TJ coming on. What's going on, everybody? I'm happy to be back here. <laughs> okay. Next up, we got Holiday. What up, dude? And last but not least, we got Eric back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So... Everybody on the episode this time have been on the show multiple times, so I'm so glad to have you all back. And I wouldn't want to do a year-end wrap-up or a prediction without the people that have been on the show the most, (laughs) right? So uh, to kick this one off, um, I actually want to start off in an area where you all probably thought I would not start off. I want to talk about people that's no longer in the UFC, so... First up in that category, we had a bunch of retirements happen. Uh, Not sure if everybody uh, even aware of all the people that retired, but we had Diego Lima retire. Uh, Diego Lima, famous cousin Douglas Lima uh, over in Bellator. We had Nina Nunez retire, who is Amanda Nunez's wife. Felice Herring, Jessica I, Eddie Weiland. Roxanne Matafori, which I think she's actually retiring this time. If people don't remember, maybe 10 years ago, she actually retired and then came right back out of retirement. But um, Zabit, Donald Cerrone, Uriah Hall, Marlon Moraes, uh, JJ, Joanna, uh, Luke Rockhold, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, and TJ Dillashaw all retired. Now, Marlon Moraes, I mentioned him. He retired for like a few months and then came back and went to PFL. But he still (laughs) retired at least for a bit. So out of those, and this question I'm throwing out to anybody, anybody on that list that you see that's like a big shocker to you? And if you need me to, I can run that list back real quick. But anybody on that list that's a big shocker that either you were just surprised that they retired or you think shouldn't have retired or anything like that? I'm a bit more surprised that you left out Rory McDonald from the list, if I'm being honest with you. But uh, aside from that, I'd say TJ Dillashaw. I didn't really see him retiring just 
I mean, I don't know how you go into a championship fight with literally one arm, and then after you lose that fight, you turn around and you're like, all right, I'm going to call it a career. Like, it makes sense considering the injury you sustained, but it's like if you had the competitive fire to go out there with a busted shoulder like that, kind of weird timing to me. See, my apologies. I know how much you love Rory McDonald, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the problem. I really only for the retirement list and the next list, I really only looked at the UFC and not the overall picture. Uh, but um, note it, Rory McDonald, that, that is a big retirement, and I agree. It should have been on the list because <laughs> I was really going for big names. So I agree with you on that. Anybody else got somebody else that was like a big shocker or, you know? Well, I, yeah. I don't know if it's a big shock, but uh, I'm sorry. You can go ahead, TJ. I'm a guest on your show, bro. Go first. All right. Uh, I would say it's a beat. I, I, I was a fan. Um, I like the long rangey fighters that actually use use their length. Um, he was a young guy; he had a lot of potential. I thought that was kind of a surprise. Um, what I didn't think was a surprise, but I wanted to at least double back on, was the Roxanne Matafari. Uh, I mean, she she was never an elite level fighter, but you know, she's kind of a pioneer in women's fighting. She's been doing it for yeah. a long time. And she was a part of one of the douchiest moments I've ever seen in UFC history. When she won a pretty big fight against uh, Macy Barber. Macy Barber blew out her knee or whatever. Roxanne gets a win. I thought she might have retired then. It was like a, a biggest win ever. And right when they're about to interview her, Macy Barber comes up and grabs the mic and starts talking into it and shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but Roxanne is definitely a pioneer. I just don't – I think the reason why people don't put her in that category is because she was just never at that, like, um, elite level, right? She was never, like – you were never talking about her in a conversation, any kind of GOAT or champion or anything like that, but definitely a pioneer. She's um, she's a pioneer the way the Brooklyn Brawler is a pioneer. <laughs> TJ, what, what did you have? That ain't fair. That ain't fair at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was gonna say Diego Lima. Uh, sorry, is it Diego Lima that retired? Yeah, that the one that was in the UFC, not yeah, the one from that, Bellator. That one is more shocking because he's one. He's a younger brother. Two, he had the sort of unfair shake in the sense that um, he he was cutting his teeth in MMA when he went through the Ultimate Fighter and went straight to the fight. You know, UFC. So I expected him to kind of make his rounds around like PFL, maybe Bellator, even one championship, where I figured he would be uh, not, not not necessarily a championship level fighter, but at least a journeyman or have kind of a, a long term sort of status as a fighter. I'm assuming he's making more money coaching now, and that's why he got out of it. Um, TJ Dillashaw wasn't a shocker to me. One, I didn't. One, I kind of felt like if he didn't win the belt, he was never going to be fighting for a belt again. Two, I felt like he kind of exposed himself with his whole steroid use, even more so in a sense of like the the style that he fought before the accusation and the style that he fought after was actually noticeably different. And then three, I still feel like his entering that fight with Aljo was a scummy move on his behalf. Like I don't think it was anything brave. No offense, Eric. I feel like it was a scummy move, and he was just trying to collect the payday. Um, so I kind of expect him to retire, especially when they say, like, it's a torn shoulder. I'm like, that's, what, 18 months of recovery, and he's almost 37 at this point or something like that. So I'm like, there's no way he's coming back. Um, but then, you know, Roxanne, Roxanne was talking about starting a family for the last three years, so that was something that I, I saw coming. That makes sense. You got anything, Holiday? 
it doesn't really fall under the lines of uh, surprise. It is in the name, but it was JJ. And if you remember, I think we was watching at the same time. I was like, she should retire. And then she retired. But it's not like going into that fight. I was like, she should be retiring soon. I thought she, you know, my whole thing about her last however many fights, I just think that um she wasn't really improving, but she was still good enough to be in the matches with the top people. Um, and she didn't seem like she was hate fighting or nothing like that. So I was surprised, but not surprised because at the point it was like, you might as well retire. And then obviously she did retire. So I don't know how you would kind of categorize that. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what's funny. So the, the, I kind of picked two people. Zabit was a shocker, but not a shocker to me. And it was only because I really wanted to, I really wanted him to come back. Um, it's very rare that you get that body type to, you know, be able to, you know, fight in a, a smaller weight class where the size is really there, but you're not like, um, you know, just this big dude in the weight class. He was really a, you know, a slim dude and he was really good. I mean, undefeated in the UFC overall was 18 and one, and he had just came off of a big win over Calvin Cater which as we know, you know, Calvin Cater went on the challenge for the title and everything, you know, so um, it, it's, um, or at least a eliminator, you know, but um, I really wanted to see what he was going to do. And I think he's a matchup problem for a lot of people. The only reason why it wasn't a surprise is because I had been following up, trying to figure out what was going on with him. And I kept hearing about, you know, injuries or different things that was going on. So it wasn't that big of a shocker. And then TJ Dillashaw was actually the other person that I had, not even, not even simply because he retired, but I'd never seen a faller, a faster fall from grace. Like, you know, he went from, you know, people about to put him in a goat conversation to like out of the UFC, just like that. I mean, it, it seems like it was overnight. And then you combine that with the, you know, EPO and steroid scandals and everything else. And I really just think he tainted his legacy. And, you know, I think he would have been a really talented fighter without the drugs. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah. Anything else before I ask the next one? Yeah. From my understanding, Zabit is teasing a return. Um, as recently as recently as December 20th, he's like posting pictures on Instagram with fight contracts in front of him and everything. He should return. He absolutely should return. <laughs> His retirement, though, like you said, you caught it out, but he had an actual, like, uh, a chronic lung issue, right? And that's why he was, like, um, he tired out a lot of his fights, and then he finally got it, was, like, checked out after he retired. He found out that he had some kind of, like, chronic lung issue, had surgery, corrected it. So I imagine he probably will return in the next year or two, especially with Especially if Volk wins the title, the 155 belt, I doubt he's going to cut down 145 again. And now that 145 division becomes wide open. Yeah, I mean, medical, you know, we, we damn near can call it medical retirement. That's happened to a lot of people. Um, you know, of course, as we know, when Brock originally retired, it was because of medical issue in, in the uh, world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, um, uh, the GOAT, um uh, what is his name? Um, not Nicky Ryan, the other one. Anyway, he, you know, he had really bad stomach issues, almost retired, 
you know, actually kind of retired for a little bit and came back. Um, you know, it's, it's been multiple people that it's really medical situations that, that take them out. Um, so definitely now on to the next group of people, which is people that actually either got released or their contract did not get renewed by the UFC in that list. We have both Cowboys, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. And of course we have, well, I'm sorry. Cowboy Cerrone was in the retirement so we have Alexis Davis. We have Aspen Ladd. She uh, ended up over at PFL. We have Ben Rothwell. He ended up over at Locke's favorite place of all time, which we'll we'll see uh, on this list. But uh, Bare Knuckle ended up signing with Bare Knuckle. Asked for a release and then signed with Bare, Bare Knuckle. We have uh, Darren Wynn, Greg Hardy. Jeremy Stevens. I'm sorry, Greg Hardy went to uh, Bare Knuckle. Darren Wynn, as far as I know, don't have a new contract anywhere. Jeremy Stevens went to the PFL. Mickey Gall, Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz, as we know, the world is his oyster. He can go wherever he wants, whenever he decides. Uh, Sam Alvey, which I want to talk about Sam Alvey in a minute. Uh, Sarah McMahon, she went to Bellator. Shane Bargos went to PFL and Tiago Santos went to PFL. So kind of the same question out of that list. And I can repeat it if anybody wants me to any shockers, any surprises, anybody that you say, you know, maybe the UFC should have held on to, or, you know, somebody that should have tried harder to negotiate with the UFC. Any surprises there? I, I'm, I'm cool. um, sorry, Mark, but my holiday. I'm, um, I was surprised that Diaz is gone because it's not like whether he was winning or not, because he's always not winning, (laughs) but he's such a fan favorite in my mind. I figured he was either going to be retired or in a UFC for his whole life. Him and his brother seem like they can do whatever they want and then just be in the UFC. So for him to not be in the UFC, I was actually surprised by that. Yeah, I feel that. But I think, you know, as you saw the way negotiations was going kind of down the road, I think a lot of people were guessing that was the road he was going to go down. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, UFC should have thrown him more money because he's worth it at the end of the day. He's a big draw. Anybody else? Yeah, sorry. My, my unmute button is far. Cause I have a big ass screen. So like I got to scroll to get it every time. I don't want to hear those first world problems. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I I was only going to add two things. I'm more shocked that Darren Wynn isn't in the UFC, but I also think he's going to be his next fight will take place in the UFC. I feel like he got caught up in the politics and the bullshit of UFC in in a sense where he got injured or fainted before a fight. And then probably because they wanted him to fight anyway, he said, nah, I fainted. So they cut him. But more likely, he'll end up fighting again. If not, he'll be in PFL, right? He'll be a he'll, he'll be a money fighting PFL. He's never gonna. I I don't think he has to build for his weight class to be a champion in that weight class. But I do think he's a very high level fighter. Um, Nate Diaz, I am not shocked by, and it's actually a smart move on him because, in my opinion, he was only ever gonna get jobbed out in the UFC, and he was only gonna ever be used as sort of um, what sort of they were enhancing in talent, right? He's a big name. But he's not he's not beating anybody in the top 14 at this point in his career. 
So they would only use him to promote younger art, uh, younger fighters over and over. So I'm actually happy he walked away and I hope he makes a lot of money. If he fights, fake, uh, fights Jake Paul or whoever makes $30 billion. It's a I don't terrible care. matchup. Don't fight Jake Paul. I hope he fights <laughs> Jake Paul. He's going to get knocked out, but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, he I, turned into the Brooklyn brawler. He actually did turn into the Brooklyn brawler. Uh, but with that said, though, like, honestly, everybody on that list you named, it's nobody on there is like, oh, my God, they should be back. It's like, yeah, they should either get cut or I'm happy that they got out of the system because now they can, uh, can, can, can sort of make more money for themselves. Okay. Anybody else before I take the mic on it? I, I want to say my pre-prediction, because I know you said we're going to do predictions at some point. I do think Nate Diaz will fight in the UFC again someday. Um, but you mentioned uh, Ben Rothwell going to bare knuckle, and it's cool because he can fight it like you can take steroids and fight it like three hundred pounds. <laughs> and he doesn't even need gloves. But uh, you mentioned Felice Herrig retired earlier. She's uh she signed with bare knuckle too. She hasn't fought yet, but. I didn't see hers. I might have missed that because what I did was I found and, you know, kind of curated the list. I looked up each person to try and figure out if they re-signed somewhere, but I missed hers. Good call. You're probably trying to find someone for Paige to fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's always a, a good matchup. <laughs> so I, I like that fight. I, w- I would watch that one. Eric, anything for our move? Before I actually throw mine in, yeah, uh, I think Shane Burgos was kind of surprising to me just because I feel like he's uh like the guy with the like not the most success, but like he's probably had like the fewest defeats of most of the guys who like wind up on the outside of the UFC. And I know that his is like he probably came to the end of a contract and decided he was going to go somewhere he was going to get paid. But everyone else that you list, it's like usually they're going to the PFL after they've done like one in four in their last five and it's kind of the end of the road for them. So it was kind of like kind of a different, probably a smarter move for like the financial aspect of his career. Um, Also like leaves room for him to potentially be back in the UFC later. Like I don't think that it's out of the question that he could be in the PFL for a year or two years if he has success there and then decides he wants to like chase the legacy aspect. There's still enough time in his career for him to do that. Yeah, good point. So he was uh, him, Ben Rothwell, and Nate Diaz are requested or chose not to sign. So uh, Rothwell actually requested a release. I think he still had a couple of fights left. He requested a release. Nate Diaz, of course, as we know, didn't resign it. And Shane Bargos, he literally wanted to test the market. But the good thing, it doesn't seem like he left on bad terms. So to your point, I think he could come back, you know, at some point in the future. And the benefit of fighting for PFL in that format is, let's say you're a 20 and 20 fighter in the UFC. You're probably going to be a 20 and 20 fighter in the PFL. And and I'm sorry for people that newer people, that means 20 to show, 20,000 to show, 20,000 to win, right? You'll probably have a similar contract in the PFL. The difference is entering a tournament you still have a chance every year at that million dollars, right? So you can have a bad two years and have a breakout year and win a million dollars. So, cause they still get their, you know, fight purse or whatever. So I think that's the benefit there. Uh, for me, it was, um, I think Ben Rothwell was the biggest, um, 
biggest shocker there only because, I mean, being a, a big guy, a heavyweight, you know, I really feel like the UFC is the only place to even get attention. Um, in other, um, you know, other promotions, you hear about everybody else pretty much except the heavyweights. And if you go over to Bellator, the only heavyweights you hear about are the ones from the UFC, right? But in all these other promotions, it's almost like heavyweight doesn't exist. And that's an area where most promotions struggle. Um, so I think he was in a good spot. Do I think he was going to be champion? No. Um, but, at, you know, going over to bare knuckle, I'm not sure how it works or how much money he got. I don't know if it was simply a money play or what, but, um, you know, I don't see you, I don't see him leaving the UFC going over to bare knuckle and then being able to come back. So at that point in time, it's almost like saying, my MMA, I'm, I'm getting rid of my MMA career for the money. That's the way I look at it. And um, the one thing that I did want to highlight um, that I mentioned I would go back over to is Smiling Sam Alvey. So for anybody that has not been to his TikTok, is, is, he's a very entertaining dude. But I saw an interesting stat as I was looking him up. So in, in our little fight group, I remember having a conversation with a gentleman in there and I don't remember the exact conversation. So I really can't quote it, but we were talking about somebody and that person had had like six fights and not got cut. And then the person I was talking to was saying that had to be a record. I was like in the UFC, no way that's a record. So Sam Alvey doesn't have a win in his last nine fights in the UFC. And finally he got cut. And that was amazing to me. I didn't know anybody had reached nine fights without a win consecutively <laughs> and still be in the UFC. But uh, but I actually like Sam Alvey. Hopefully he find a home somewhere. Uh, right now he's um, he let all the uh, all the bullies and haters and internet trolls know that you know he's one of those guys that if you ever want to come to his gym and fight come on, he'll be more than welcome to uh, show you how it's really done. So <laughs> anything else on that? Anybody want to say anything before we move on? Yeah, I want to say, uh, how you were talking about like Ben Rothwell with the bare knuckle, and I don't think bare knuckle pay as much as UFC per se as like, as, like a long-term contract with this many fights for this much money. But I think what some of the guys like is they're doing like more flexibility. Like, if you want to try and do different things and maybe you want to go take a fight in Japan once in a while or do this grappling thing, UFC really keeps that shit kind of tight, you know? And uh, that might be why some guys like to do it. But either way, I really like that we're at least talking about an MMA environment where people have options one way or the other. I mean, I like I like that it's going in that direction. Totally Bare knuckle is the elephant's graveyard for MMA fighters. Let's be honest. Listen, Locke will fight you over that backyard brawl. <laughs> well, look, I mean, they're they're elite. they're putting on entertaining fights. They're put and they're paying people. I mean, somehow they're making they, money. You just you just said they don't pay as much as MMA. Oh, uh, but now you're saying they pay. Uh, bare knuckle. I said they're not is, paying as much as the UFC. Bare knuckle is a depressing entertainment. It's like celebrity boxing. For MMA fighters, it's a bunch of old, shop-worn, drunk, 
unskilled fighters punching each other in the face for about twenty thousand dollars. They're they're it's not, not all it is not good. It is it is it sh- it actually should not even be happening at this point. Like it's what? so bad. Wait, 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 if you wait. take a fifty year old fighters <laughs> that can barely run half a mile and let them punch each other in the face bare knuckle. So it's it's bad enough you've gotten so much brain damage up to this point. You're not gonna take a person that's desperate to feed their kids or illegitimate children or pay child support, let them bash their face in to the point where they get irreparable damage. Give them chunk change to buy a like use eighty nine Cadillac and then say thank you, bye. I'm out. Like it, first of all, you skipped terrible. over the best rebuttal ever, which was they're not all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing that I and wanted to say. I'm pretty sure you get all their fights for like five to ten bucks a month or something like that. And that's probably how much they're paying their fighters right now. <laughs> okay, so let's move on from that one. So back in December, we actually had the MMA Awards. Um, and um, in the MMA Awards, which I believe is actually done by MMA Fighting, um, I don't know who actually does it. But um, yeah, the World MMA Awards. So um, I'm going to throw out kind of the winners and Anybody that feels like maybe somebody else should won or, you know, anything to that, just go ahead and throw it in. But uh, the Charles Mass Lewis Fighter of the Year Award went to Alexander Volkanovsky. Any Anything on that one? It should have been Alex Pereira. No. No. It should have been Alex. No. Volk, Volk listen, nobody <laughs> gained more respect in 2022 than Alex Volkanovski. He definitely my real gave choice, my respect during that time. My real choice was Charles Oliveira until he gave up uh, his last fight. Up until that, if he had won that last fight, he would have been a fighter of the year. I do agree that uh, Volk deserves a lot of credit. I, I don't think there's a clear-cut case for anyone else to challenge him for fighter of the year. I do think, though, we have to acknowledge Alex going from essentially obscurity to being the champion. Uh, even though I still think there's arguments to be made that stopping that fight at the point they stopped it could have been a fluke, but it is what it is. No, I think he, I think he won it fair and square, but yeah, I still think Volk Volk had by far had the better resume in 2022. Next up, female fighter of the year. Uh, hold on. Okay, go ahead. No, somebody else. I disagree. Said well, I mean, I looked at it. Uh, Piera won three fights. Volk won two, and one of Volk's fights was against Max. Who he's, this is his third time beating him, and uh, it wasn't. It's, it's only his. Upset. It's only his second time beating him. Arguably, one point five times. So let's not go. There. Just saying. <laughs> it's a. It's. It's. I think that's a legitimate gripe. Other than Adesanya, who? That Pereira beat that you would put on the level exactly that you would put on the level of either Max or who was the other fight? Uh, uh, the Korean Zombie, I think, was uh, I, folks I, other fight. I think I, I think that so. conversation stops when you say Adesanya. I think once you go Israel Adesanya, like he trumps both for those folks. As much as I love Max, like what Korean Zombie is a shop worn fighter, we know that. As much as I love Max. Like Adesanya was essentially the gold standard past 170. 
at that point. So the fact that he beat him and now technically beat him three times, but whatever, bullshit. Um, I, I do think that kind of trumps some of Volk's wins, but I think Volk as a fighter overall, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong because I'm not I'm not looking at it just this year. I'm looking at his entire journey and the fact that he put a rubber, like he he stamped, he he basically fought his hardest competition he would ever face and completely dominated to the point where people aren't going to argue or ask for that fight ever again. You know what I'm saying? And I think that Pierre didn't really do that without Asanya, so that's why I would give it to Volk. Is that a fair argument? I roll with it. I roll with it. Was you finished, Locke? I'm going to go to the next one. Yep, or if good. anybody else had anything. Okay. Female fighter of the year. I don't even know how you choose a female fighter of the year because one of my gripes this year was the women didn't fight for some reason. I don't know what's going on in the UFC, but I'll touch on that a little bit later. But female fighter of the year is no other than the best number one champion, the greatest of all time, not named Ronda Rousey, Valentina Shevchenko. Any arguments there? Yeah, what's the name of the girl that beat her this year? Never had. Did you remember the picture at the end and Valentina <laughs> was looking nice and beautiful with her braids and old girl had like a second, third eye on her forehead? Yeah, you talk about that fight? <laughs> it's not prior rules. They don't weigh damage now. Come on. Listen, when you saw them... Getting ready to get their hand raised. Old girl face said, I lost. But yeah, best number one champion. Anything else on that? Anybody got anything on that one? No. Okay. Breakthrough fighter of the year. Patty Pimlay. Patty the Batty. Like I know that's your favorite fighter of all time. What you got? What I do like to use Patty the Batty as an example of is uh, I have a teenage daughter, right, who she loves British dudes. And uh, I'll be like, hey, check this out. This is British dudes, too. Check out Patty the Batty. And uh, so he's a cautionary tale in your house. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think you would have to say like him or hate him or whatever. He's probably got to be like. The breakthrough fighter, or else, I mean, unless you could call Piera, I mean, he beat Adesanya. That's who I would have given it to. I mean, I yeah. That's that's where I think. Well, Piera yeah, definitely him right. over Patty the Batty, fucking getting getting fat and choking out guys that aren't in the top ten. You know what He's, though? I don't know what the uh, qualifications is for a breakthrough fighter, but. Part of when I think about breakthrough of anything, it's the way that someone hits your radar. And I feel like he had a a bigger kind of impact on my radar than Pereira. The Pereira thing was was because he beat Ansanya. But I'm going um I'm going like chill, Sonny. I mean, he really lost 90% of that fight. And then he made a mistake and kind of hit him, and then the referee just wouldn't let the fight continue. So he won, but you know, Patty the Batty is it's the it's like the counter thing is the it was the entertainment the everything else that came along with him, as uh, which is why I can roll with that. Listen, I am one of Adesanya's all time biggest fans, but I'm not gonna let y'all sit up here and disrespect like that. Had the ref not jumped in, Adesanya probably would be off and not being able to fight for a year. Because that knockout was going to be brutal. Adesanya was not coming back in that fight. That was a good... They should have let it happen. 
No, that was a good stoppage. Not letting y'all disrespect like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just, I want to yeah. just toss in there and sorry, yeah. I don't want to, I feel like I'm talking more. So tell me to shut up if I, if I go overboard here. Um, go ahead, throw it in. Terrence McKinney, I think, is a more prominent breakout fighter than, um, you know, Patty Pendleton. I think Patty is a fighter that only broke out because he was surrounded by the machine and promoted by the machine. You know what I mean? UFC pumped him up, pumped him up, pumped him up. He was essentially the the great white hype of the UFC at this point. And I don't think in any of his fights that he really stand out as a phenomenal fighter. I know Terrence has the one loss on this uh, on his radar. Um, I think Alex would be the next big breakout fighter because I mean the dude's social media account alone has like almost double, or I think it's almost close to Israel's as it is currently. And then I asked the question of. Is breakout only for fighters that we just heard about this year, or is it just any fighter that stood out, right? Because then you make the argument, does both Charles Oliveira and Islam, should they be ranked in that breakout sort of fighter of the year, you know, category? Because Charles had a historic year, even though he ended it on a loss, and Islam basically cemented himself as one of the legends of the of that division. Well, he's starting that journey now, which I don't know if he's going to maintain it, but I feel like we should be talking about more people than just Patty. Yeah, what about Jamal Hill? Yeah, that's another person. Uh, good question. I would say um, I don't know what their criteria is, but when I think about breakout fighter, it's going from almost unknown or barely on the radar to, you know, really known or whatever, or doing something really big where all of a sudden you just, you know, was thrown in on people. But um yeah, like I agree on Jamal Jamahal Hill also that you know could be in that list. But go ahead. No, that's actually what I was going to say. So I think what I don't know if you guys were talking. That's why you shouldn't surprise me with shit. Because while you're talking, I realize he's he's the breakout fighter of 2022. He's got two knockouts and he's about to become the uh, he's about to fight for the title, man. He is. I'm, I'm waiting on that fight. Okay, next one. International Fighter of the Year. I'm actually not going to ask unless somebody really has something on this one because, you know, half of the UFC international fighters, right? So International Fighter of the Year, Vogue won that also. Um, Fight of the Year. Fight of the Year was Yuri versus Glover Teixeira. So it was a lot of good fights. I'm just going to give you all what else was on the list that they had in the running? So that top five, it was Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Phenomenal, crazy fight. Volkanovski versus Ortega. Crazy fight. Chimaev versus Gilbert Burns. And then Max Holloway versus Yuri Rodriguez, which it seems like that fight was like two years ago. I didn't I didn't think the Yuri Rodriguez fight was that um, recent, but... Out of those, um, Yuri and Glover uh, end up number one on that. And so I'm, I definitely want to know opinions on that one. Holiday, I'll I see like you unmuted. The funny part is, I'm back to the lock point of, you know, not being able to kind of prepare. I was trying to think of fights and then you start naming fights. And when you name the fights, I feel like that fight is the last fight. Like out of all the fights that you name. To me, I, I think it was the less entertaining out of all of them. With I mean, you know, I guess the sheriff winning this late 
Yeah. But when I first off that Max fight did something like it was a million years ago. But that was just so entertaining the way he was just beating the brakes off of this guy. It was like uh, Eddie Murphy said he was spinning the spinner and kicking his ass, Eddie. <laughs> and then and then for him to turn around and do the same thing, which I don't think I know what the fights. Um that Chandler fight was crazy too. Um, I don't know. I feel like all, literally I feel like it wasn't only thing that was a bad fight, but out of all the fights that you named, I know there wasn't even all the fights I probably could think of, that's probably like the worst fight that was out of all those fights. I think it was the most back and forth out of all the fights. Uh, all the fights were good, so I'm glad I didn't have to choose, right? Like for the like I'm actually a judge for the awards because I think it's I think it's hard to choose. I literally would have to rewatch every fight and whichever one I watched last probably would be like, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> TJ, I saw you on mute. Yeah, I'm something? sorry. I was going to say like, I'm more on record, I think on this podcast before saying that that Glover, whatever, uh, Yuri fight, that was not a good fight. It was terrible. It looked awful. It was terrible. And I'm hating that like we keep having that conversation. <clears throat> but again, not to be this guy again, but like I gotta pose a question: What constitutes a good fight? Right? Is a good fight only a good fight if it goes five rounds, or it's a close? To well, the they end didn't of the say fight? good fight. Like they said, fight of the year. But I, I, I guess that's my question <laughs> though. Like, because every time they do these fight of the years, it's always like, oh, this crazy back and forth decision or this last minute round. But like Charles Oliveira was involved in three fight of the year candidates, in my opinion. His fight with Justin, his fight with Charles, with uh, Dustin. And then his last fight. And then Dustin on that same, you know, card, he was in a fight of the year candidate when he fought um 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 what's this guy's name from Bellator? Damn, Michael Chandler, right? And then my, Michael Chandler in every single fight he's had has been a fight of the year candidate, right? So it's like what's a, how are we how are we qualifying the fight of the year? That should that's weird to me. That's all. I I don't have any opinion beyond that. <laughs> Eric, you've been too quiet. Eric, who you got for fight of the year? Um, I don't know. That's like a hard question because as he was, as TJ was talking, I was like, kind of really agreeing that, um, the Yuri versus Glover wasn't really that good of a fight. And then it got me thinking about the other fights and if I just enjoyed them because there was like a maximum amount of violence or if there was, cause I actually appreciate what was going on. I'd say comes out versus Gilbert is my fight of the year. Um, just cause I remember enjoying it a lot at the time. But now, I, now I'm wondering if I need to go back and rewatch it and kind of question whether or not it's as good as it is, or if it's just there was so much violence that I enjoyed it a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I will say this: um, we always got to think about how the UFC became what we know today, right? And the fight that saved the UFC: Stephen Bonner, uh, Forrest Griffin. Even at the time, I remember talking to people about it. It was, it was very few people because nobody fucking watched MMA at the time, right? But um, at the time, I remember talking to people saying that was not a good fight. It was a, you know, it was a old school boxing Gotti Ward, no defense, just throwing punches. And I personally like more technical fights, but. Was it an enjoyable fight of watching them beat the shit out of each other and very exciting? Yes. And for most of the time, you got to remember, most people are not looking at the technical stuff that you would be looking at. So they're like, hey, what was the most exciting shit? That was fight of the year. And if you feel like two guys 
just throwing and slinging shots and taking each other down and you got blood and then it ends with a climax of a guy getting choked out. You may see that. And now, of course, I'm talking about Yuri Glover. You may see that as, yeah, you know, that was the most exciting fight. I see that as the fight of the year. So I, I, I kind of see it, you know, always. Once again, I'm just glad I didn't have to choose. Lock, anything before I move on to the next one? Nope, I have no thoughts on that. Okay. So this one is disrespectful. Knockout of the year. We have Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Now. That knockout was disrespectful, but the list is disrespectful because, in my opinion, there's more shit that should have been on the list that's not on here. But we do got a couple Bellator fights on the list, and I can't really judge because I didn't see these fights. As I always talk about, for some reason, it's something about Bellator's product that never makes me want to go back to it and watch it. But um, on this list, we have... I am going to butcher this name. I apologize. Bahamones uh, versus Roosevelt Roberts, the UFC. Uh, Sergio Pettis versus Kiyoji in Bellator. We got Molly McCann versus Luana Carolina in UFC. And then we got Roman versus Robert Torquest in Bellator. Yeah, so out of that list, <laughs> I would have to put the Chandler Ferg in there. Any anything on that, or any any like knockouts you think should have been on that list? Eric, what you got? I see you unmuted. Yeah, I got um, from that list Sergio Pettis versus Yoji Horiguchi, just because uh, the implication was much bigger than Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. It was for the belt. Sergio Pettis was losing that fight pretty bad for the entirety of the fight and then lands a you know, Hail Mary knockout to put put away an absolute legend of the sport. Um I think that's I think that's a little bit bigger than Michael Chandler front kicking uh, an old washed fighter and uh you know dropping him that way, but I don't know. Yeah, I didn't recognize the name until you pronounced it. Yeah, Horaguchi is definitely a legend in the sport. So, uh, yeah, and I don't know, like you said, the whole title thing. I didn't look that far into it, so I didn't even know it was, you know, for a title or, you know, anything like that. But, yeah, that's that's big. Anybody else got something on that one? Yeah, I think out, out of that list, Chandler's definitely – that's the that's the knockout. But uh, my uh, knockout of the, the year would be Jamal Hill over Johnny Walker. Remember he did the uh, yeah, did the backdrop yeah. and show. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that one either. So we're just skipping him on all the categories, right? Yeah, so he just yeah. got no love. He got to yeah. win a title, MMA awards, so white. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, I'm going to the next. I'm going to the next thing, unless somebody else got something. I was gonna say Jim, Jim, you you pronounce his name the way it's phonetically spelled, which I've never heard on uh, DC. So that's weird. Now I can't say his name ever again. Jimaho, Jimaho, what? I think uh, that's how he pronounces though. Okay, I was gonna say he's probably off this list because his uh, his Instagram has turned into a red pill sort of deep dive. He's like. Andrew Tate times ten thousand now all of a sudden, which is oh, really I gotta weird. go watch. I gotta go. I gotta go follow him. There. I'm hoping For he gets real? out of that. Uh, no, so 
again, I keep coming in with questions on these things, but like what constitutes a knockout of the year type conversation, right? If you knock out somebody that's been knocked out before, does that put you on this list? Like, does that qualify you? Because like Ryan Spann knocking out Dominic Reyes off of a fake jab was hilarious and amazing to me. Um, you know, then Joanna got knocked out this year as well, right? Uh, I'm just curious to like why those names didn't make the list. And then Eric makes a great uh, argument about, you know, when you not when you do a comfort behind victory and you're not going to legend, I think that belongs on this list. Um, but in terms of just visually stunning, no one was going to beat that Chandler, Tony Ferguson knockout. That shit was amazing. The only comparisons that would be uh, Frankie Edgar getting knocked out was at three months ago. So That's disrespectful, it. just disrespectful to the legends. Okay, so like the, the older I get, the more the meaner that award seems. <laughs> so we got submission of the year for this one. We got Oliveira versus uh, Dustin Portier. Um, I think this is another one of those where you know Oliveira could have been on here more than once because if I'm not mistaken, his fight with um, with um, with uh, Gaethje was a, a rear naked choke also. But um, I won't go through the list of this one, just if anybody want to dive in other than that, I'm going to move over to the next one. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't understand how it's not Islam Makhachev submitting him, to be honest with you. That's a good point. That That's a good point, especially when he had multiple submissions this year. I yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. Okay, so uh, we got comeback of the year. We got, and this one I guess is not necessarily based on a fight, based on who they chose as the winner. We got Aljamain Sterling and um, says here overcoming intense ridicule and injury to come back and and basically to come back and beat um, uh, uh, Jan. So any thoughts on that one? That's weird. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Upset of the year. Now, I'm confused on this one. Was there a cutoff? And maybe that's why we don't have some of these other fights on the list. Maybe there's a December cutoff for this awards. Because upset of the weird year, we have the winner being Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes. But that was at the end of 2020. 21 i believe it was december so i'm wondering if some of these we don't see like some of the december fights or or late november fights we don't see on here and that's the reason why but um that was the upset of the year so i would ask you all outside of that if we're actually looking at 2022 what do you see as the upset of the year i would say sean o'malley versus peter young just because I think it was like 11, mm. 11 spots difference in the rankings or something like that. That was That's a good one. That's a good one. I was, going that exact, one? I was going that same direction. And not even just because of the distance, because of the skill set. The sort of opinion on a fighter. And um, I'm one of the few people that believe Sean won that fight. Um, and I think a lot of people just thought because... I feel like a lot of people got caught up on Jan and being who he is and the little things that he did that they didn't realize that actually Sean beat him. 
Um, and then the second to that would be Al Jermaine Sterling beating Yon the second time. I feel like both of those nerds were upsets of the year. Anybody else before I throw mine in? All right. So I like, I mean, I like both of what you all said. Um, I would say with O'Malley, I'm biased because I'm not a fan of O'Malley at all. So I'm a little bit biased there. O'Malley, don't, don't come looking for me, man. I don't want no smoke. <laughs> but, um, no, I had, uh, Leon Edwards Usman. You know, that was, you know, especially the way that he won. And I mean, he completely flatlined Usman, eyes rolled in the back of his head. And to be able to pull that off at the at the very end, I mean, you're losing everything. He looked like he mentally quit. And it, it, it's funny because I go back to what Holiday said about, uh, you know, Chell Sonnen talking about, uh, uh, you know, Anderson Silva losing the whole time and then wrap his legs around his head. And that's not the winner. You know, he the champ. But um he when he talked about that, he talked about he saw Anderson do something he had never seen with his own eyes before, which is a person that you know is defeated, and somehow something triggers them and they just turn something on where they feel like they can win and they are able to win. And that was what I felt like Leon did there. I don't think it was lucky. I think it was a setup. I think he was following the plan that came out of you know, uh, his corner and what they had been practicing. And up until that point, you know, maybe 30 seconds to a minute before that, he looks like he was a completely defeated fighter. And then he started striking and he started faking with that left kick. And then he threw it and it was lights out. So that's mine for that. Anything else before we go to the next one? Should there be an inspirational fighter of the year, though? Because I feel like that would qualify for me for inspirational fighter of the year. You just made it. I mean, I just, I, I, I mean, yeah, my only reason is I had, I had Leon going into that fight, winning that fight. And I know a lot of people think I'm crazy, but at that point, in my opinion, uh, Kamar has fallen in love with his striking so much that I felt like he was going to fall into those traps. Um, and then that first round where, you know, Leon was able to get the takedown and all of that stuff. Uh, but I still think that come from behind victory and the fact that his corner motivated him wanted to get out of his head. <clears throat> And two, for him to follow sort of that almost like he was a video game, you know, being controlled by an outside player where he literally, like, like to your point, it wasn't a lucky strike. He set that shot up three times right before he landed it. He fainted, he fainted, and then he landed it. So it's like, that's not lucky. You set that shit up. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't disagree. And, you know, that, that, um, you know, we're going to go ahead and mark that, and that's going to be one of the uh, things that we'll do in the future. You know, what, what did you call it? The inspirational fight of the year? Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're going to do. So one more thing I'll touch on as far as um, awards. There are some other awards, but it's a bunch of stuff that I don't think I really care about. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that I wanted to touch on was gym of the year. Uh, gyms are really important. I mean, I really do think a, a gym can make and break or break a fighter. In particular, the right fighter going to the right gym. And we've talked about that on the podcast before where certain fighters are just, in my opinion, in the wrong gym and it hurts their career. But gym of the year ended up going to City Kickboxing. And City Kickboxing has uh, Adesanya. It has Volkanovski. I believe Kyra France is over there. Um 
Dan Hooker's over there, I believe. Um, um, Blood Diamond, I believe, is over there. Um, and I'm not sure who are, you know, it's a, it's a pretty nice size gym, but thoughts on that. And I'll throw out who else was in the running. We had extreme Couture uh, ATT American top team. We had kill cliff FC formerly Samford MMA, which I didn't know they changed their name again. And then we had Fortis MMA. Any thoughts on that one? No thoughts. Great. Moving Wait, on. I got a thought, but I okay. feel like I'm, all, I'm the only one. I, I, I want to stop talking so much. But um, no, go ahead. I, I, I just think when you look at it, because like you didn't mention AKA or Khabib sort of, you know, his his sort of mount march. Right. I think he went almost undefeated this year as a coach, which is weird. Um, but like I also look at it as how much of his talent was homegrown versus he inherited. I think city kickboxing is obviously the, you know, the, the gym of the year even with their champion losing, but they took one of the worst fighters on the UFC roster. It got him to win before the year was over, which is Dan Hooker, right? Like not that he's the worst fighter, but like he was on such a massive losing streak. He was getting outclassed. So they figured they, they found a way to make him change the corner. I don't have doubt that Izzy will be able to find a way to win over Alex. I just don't, I think those are 50, 50 fights for the rest of his life. Like it's going to be whoever wins in the moment. Like, if they'd have stopped that fight in the first round before the second, no one would have complained. Everybody would be like, yeah, I agree. Izzy, you know, revenge the loss. But it went on and Izzy got caught. If they'd have let that fight go out to a decision, Izzy would have won a decision. Whereas, like you said, Izzy would have gotten knocked out if he kept taking those hits clean. Um, but I think City Kickboxing has proven with their talent and the fact that they kind of right now have the pound for pound, pound for pound best fighter in the world on their roster in Volk. Like, that to me is the fighter. It's the gym of the year. Um that that that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I don't disagree with that at all. So, um, one of the things that I want to go into uh, next specifically is it's a combination of what's going on with the women's divisions, and in particular, I want to talk about one twenty five Shevchenko. Um. <clears throat> What I don't want to do, I want to preface, I don't want to go into predicting champions because that's one of the questions I'm going to have. Um, We'll go over this, and then if anybody needs to take a break, we'll take a a little break. Um, But as I think I told everybody, this particular podcast doesn't necessarily have a time limit on it. But anybody that needs to tap out and needs to go at a certain time or anything like that, you know, just let us know and we're good. But I do want to go into this. So I kind of mentioned earlier, the women really didn't have uh, many fights. Uh, I sent you all over a list and there were, there was one Bantamweight championship fight for women. There was one flyweight championship fight and there were two strawweights. And in particular with Valentina, who is the, you know, the flyweight, champion at 125 in the UFC, uh, she recently mentioned she was very displeased with, and this isn't a direct quote, Valentina, don't come after me. I love you. But uh, she mentioned that basically she was displeased with only fighting one time in 2022. And, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know, uh, um, 
I forget which one of you, TJ, I think you, you said, you know, the fight she lost, but I think, yeah, that fight was challenging, right? But she's shown that, you know, she pretty much has cleared out the division more than cleared out the division. And it's one of those divisions now where who you even get to fight her. Right. And I think they're having a problem. And I don't know if she's falling on one of those uh, DJ moments where maybe they just don't know what to do with her. They can't bring the talent over. Do they need to, you know, have a new, um, you know, one of those like they did before where they have a, a whole uh, ultimate fighter or something like that, just based around a white weight class where the champion comes in and, and, you know, fights for the title. But um, definitely the women are, I don't know. I don't have the answer. So I'm interested in opinions on what's going on with the women division uh, in particular, actually in particular, um, Bantamweight, Flyweight, and then um, uh, what's what's uh, Nunez other uh, other weight class that that basically doesn't exist anymore? She's the only person on the roster. Give me one second. I'm gonna look it up. But anybody else can dive in while I'm looking that up. But literally, there's nobody else that I see in the UFC rankings for that other than um, other than Nunez, and that is for featherweight women's featherweight so women's featherweight if you go to the ufc page they have nunez as champion i don't know the last time she's defended nobody else is listed at bantamweight she defended the title one time and then shevchenko had one defense not because she didn't want to fight she wasn't hurt anything like that the fights just seemed not to be there and from what i saw in her account People that were asked about the fight, nobody wanted to take it. What's going on? Who got something? Holiday, what you got? You got to unmute first. All right, I'm on live side again. I don't want to have to press the button twice. I pressed it one time. It's all that I need. But uh, <laughs> user error. <laughs> I, I, um, I think the problem with, I think the problem with like just combat sports in general is when you get to the super lower weights and the women, I think is, I think they always can only have a run for so long and then it's like a dead spot and then they pick up because with like the other higher weight classes and stuff, it seems like it's always just new talent just coming in like constantly, constantly, constantly. It seems like with the like one twenty five as far as like male and uh the women the women's just division in, in as a whole, you have your breakout stars, but then by the time they fight, they fighting the same people kinda over and over. And to your point, the other people you don't know them now they draw. They lose until the other losers. And so it's like you're almost waiting for the next the next run of talent to be infused, which is why I like your idea of the um, the ultimate fighter. Not even necessarily because that would still produce the good fighters you would need, but it, it could it could produce some. Um, I can't think of where I'm excitement. You know, if it's done right, I think like almost like well, 
it is tournament style, but you know what I mean. Um, I think it can produce its own excitement. So I think they did it once before. It not with the women, but if I uh I'm trying to remember, it was something they did. You know, they did like uh everybody who got kicked out of UFC want to get back into the UFC. I think they did last time. But nonetheless, that's kind of my opinion on what it is. It's like that's why I thought it was so like important. When, <clears throat> excuse me, when um Nunes knocked out um Cyborg. Um, even though I didn't know they was gonna just I mean, I know they was ready to get rid of her, I didn't know they just dump her like that. But it just almost felt like nobody was ever gonna be cyborg and it was gonna be kinda like, what's the point? And then it's like they almost look always look scared for the most part. Whereas when you had Nunes come up there, you see that go back and forth so you would go, which I think made it good again when now it looks like Nunez can't be beat, and then Pena beats her. You know what I mean? So I think you need those type of runs to keep it exciting. Because after a while, when you got to the small pool, it's like DJ fought everybody like 37 times when he was in the UFC. He had to go to a whole nother dang old <laughs> promotion just to fight somebody he hadn't fought 16 times already. Yeah, I think the only difference between DJ and and – you know, my pain is that it's going to be a DJ type situation, but the people would win in between DJ's fights. I don't know that anybody's winning in between Shevchenko's fights. Locke, what you got? Well, <clears throat> one of the things I've seen, Bleacher Report had, uh, they had their five bold predictions, and one of the predictions, they said Shevchenko's going to lose their belt in 2023. So remember in the beginning of this, I said that's exactly what I didn't want to talk about because I was going to ask that question. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go down that road. (laughs) You know who the fuck you invited to your podcast? Don't get, don't not give me information. Ask me random questions. Like I ain't good at (laughs) MMA Jeopardy, man. I just be saying shit. We know that. Preference that. (laughs) But no, go go ahead. Um, but I think they they're keeping that featherweight division because. They don't want to lose that spot in case they can get get Kayla Harrison over, and then they can get her over, and then they have a fight ready for her. So if they if they abolish it, they don't have that. As long as they have that, they have that money fight, and all of a sudden they'll get two or three girls ready to go up. They'll bring in one or two girls, sign Kayla Harrison, and bam, we got a division. Didn't Kayla just? Did lose? she just resign? Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say that she just lost. Like. So any banking on Kayla Harris is out the window because not only did she lose, but she got outclassed, which is the worst way to lose a fight, right? Like, wasn't a flash knockout or submission. She literally got beat, you know, for five rounds. Um, Sorry, I, like I'm still in your thunder here, but I think if we're – the initial question that was asked really is just like what's the what's the status of the, the women's division in the UFC? There's no women's division beyond flyweight, Right. If you look at, and I'm looking at the rankings, if you look at um, bantamweight and featherweight, featherweight really only has one person, which is embarrassing, honestly. And if you look at bantamweight, you're talking about fighters, female fighters are over the age of 35 and up with losing records. So like beyond Juliana Pena, Pena who's going to challenge Amanda Nunes? You know what I'm saying? So like that, those two divisions are just almost null at this point. Unless the UFC is willing to stop being so homogenistic and start exploring outside of their worlds, like bantamweight, uh, Bellator's sort of bantamweight division is actually pretty solid. It's a lot of competitive fights there, if not unknown. Um, that featherweight, they should just turn into a women's heavyweight division and make it an open rank. Like 
you know, make it 145 and up and just keep it open, you'll get more exciting fights. You may get more opportunities out there. You may actually see more Olympic champions, you know, converting over to MMA in that scenario. Um, and then I'm not going to get into predicting who's going to lose their belt. But when you look at Zhang Weili and, and Valentino's division, it's nothing but killers all the way up to the top seven, if not 10 positions behind them. So, like, just looking at Zhang Weili, you want to see her versus Carla again. You want to see her versus Amanda L- L- Lemos. You want to see her versus Jessica Andre- Andrade. I can't say that name. Uh, Mackenzie Dern. You want to see if she can get it. Tisha Torres. You want to see it. You want to see Amanda Rebez fight, right? Like, and that's the top 10. So, even if Zong was to go undefeated in the next three years, it's action fights, right? We still want to see Tala Santos versus uh, Valentina too. Like that's a fight that needs to happen in the next year to two years, right? But like Manon, I can't even pronounce her name, but the girl that's currently ranked number one in that division is an amazing fighter. So like um, that that that's just my take on it. I don't know where I'm going with this. I need more alcohol. <laughs> Eric, what you got? Um, I was, I was kind of interested in, uh, what TJ was saying about exploring, like, kind of like outside of their own world. I wonder if like bantamweight and featherweight is an opportunity for them to open the door to co-promoting, um, not necessarily entire events, but why not a single fight on that event? Um, I, I find it hard to believe that there's not like a 135 or that Bellator could lend the UFC. And that there's not a deal to be worked out where they could borrow a fighter sometime for a Bellator event if that's what needs to happen in order for them to make that. And I think that um, really helps the women's divisions because I think that there's just not enough female competitors to have just a single organization have like a really stacked female roster. I think instead you have to take all the female competitors and, and kind of put them into the same competition pool if you want to have like the same roster depth as you do at some of the men's weight classes if that makes sense yeah and and tj i agree with 99.9 percent of what you said my only problem is no i do not want to see carla esparza wade lee nothing matter of fact i need carla esparza to retire i'm sorry carla i love you but i mean carla you have to give hats off to her because especially in the striking department, in the division she's in, which is a killer division, she has to be at the bottom of the barrel of strikers, and she's a two-time champion. So hats off to her and bravery, I mean, out of this world. But at the end of the day, we're talking about skill set. And if the person holding the belt is not named Thug Rose, I don't see Carla winning that at all. And I see her getting outclassed every single time. A lot of the other stuff I agree. Now, with Shevchenko, yeah, I think a lot of these need to be ran back. And that's where the question also comes in at is like, what's going on? Why do we only see one title fight if the champion is not hurt and they're saying, hey, I want to fight. I want to be more active. That's where the confusion comes. So, yeah, to you and Eric's point, maybe it's a co-promotion. Uh, we know that Invicta is still always growing people. Uh, in particular, you know, it's a female promotion. So I know we know that they're growing female stars and they have a relationship with the UFC. Does something need to happen where there's an Invicta tournament that creates a champion and then they co-promote a title fight or something there? I'm not sure what needs to happen. And um, as far as, um, you know, 
women's uh, featherweight. I, yeah, I just have no words for for that. Um, you know, I think both of you all made great points. Yes, I do think they was possibly waiting on Kayla, but then Kayla re-signed, I think, like a three-year contract or something with PFL. So you're going to wait and put nobody there and have a champion just to say that there's a champ champ and leave that division open for three years. That's stupid. And then to your point, TJ, okay, well, then Kayla lost. Well, what do you do there? So, you know, I really just don't don't get it. You say it's stupid until you're trying to take this marketing photo and Nunez has one belt. And then you're like, fuck. You know who looked dope? Two belts. Two belts. (laughs) You know? Oh, we fold that division. That works all the way up until somebody go, what's the other belt for? And they're like, uh. Well, I had wanted what had happened was. So, next thing I got up, I want to dive into um, just all the different areas. Um, Of course, we had a bunch of... um, a bunch of fights. I, I sent over everybody a list of all the title fights. Oh, you know what, Eric? I don't know if you were here when I talked about that. If you check your email, if you didn't see it, I sent over a list of all the title fights that happened this yeah, year. Yeah, I got it. Okay, cool. Uh, I sent it over because I'm a reference and I didn't want people to have to try and look up themselves all the different title fights. But um, so we had a lot of big title fights this year. So at Bantamweight, we had Aljo fight both Peter Yan and TJ Dillashaw. At Featherweight, we had Vogue fighting uh, the Korean Zombie and Max 3. Uh, flyweight, we had Figueredo Moreno 3. And we had Moreno Kai Kaur France, which ended up being for the interim title. So technically right now, Figueredo is the champ. But Moreno's the interim champ which means now they have to fight for a 57th time. But, uh, yeah, heavyweight we got uh, in Gano, but as far as I know, he still hasn't re-signed with the UFC, so we don't know what's going on there, right? Um, light heavyweight, we had uh, Yuri versus Glover, which, of course, you know, Yuri won that, and we had um, uh, Jan versus uh, Megomed, I'm going to butcher the last name. But uh, so that fight ended in a draw. So literally we ended the year with no champion at light heavyweight, which is crazy, right? Um, lightweight, we had <laughs> his lightweight. We had uh, Oliveira versus Gaethje. Crazy fight. And then we had um, Oliveira versus Islam. Crazy fight. Uh, lightweight championship fights almost never disappoint. You're going to have a good fight at lightweight championship fights. Middleweight, we had um, uh, Adesanya was super busy, way more than anybody else. Uh, we had Adesanya Whitaker 2. We had Adesanya uh, Cannoneer. And then we had Adesanya Pereira. Welterweight, we had uh, Edwards versus uh, Usman. And then we kind of talked about already the women fights. We had Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena at women's bantamweight. We had Shevchenko versus uh, Talia Santos at flyweight. And then at strawweight, we saw 
Carla Esparza win the belt against Nama Yunus and then lose it right back against Wei Li. So looking at that picture, it's kind of a, 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 a combination. You know, I'll ask the question separately instead of a combination. One, looking out of that picture, what was the, and I know we kind of went over already, kind of upsets and things like that, just generally in fights, but now I specifically want to hone in on these these title fights. The initial question is going to be about these fights, and then I'm going to follow up with that. We we'll end up asking you all about how do we see these um, these weight classes going into the year? Who's going to keep this title and who's not? But initial question: uh, out of those fights this year, what just kind of was like the you know one? What fight do you even think was like? I'm surprised that person even got a title shot. Was there anybody in there that you didn't think should have got a title shot that did? And um, we kind of talked about, the, you know, the surprise or the up and coming person or whatever. Out of those specifically, what was the biggest shocker that you saw where a person won and maybe um, you wasn't expecting it? Eric, I see you already unmuted. What you got? So it wasn't so much that they won and I didn't expect it or that they weren't like necessarily like deserving of being a contender. But Davidson Figueredo getting the third fight against Brandon Moreno was kind of weird to me because he was oh one and one in the trilogy or in the in the first two fights and they gave him the trilogy like right away and now we have to have a fourth fight to like settle it. It felt to me like the Brandon Moreno Davidson Figueredo three should have happened after Davidson had an alternative opponent and then came back for it, but that's not how it was presented. So it was kind of like just the timing of it was weird to me and surprising to me more than anything. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, for the record, I didn't have him winning three. So, <laughs> but that's the UFC managed to kind of to Eric's point. They've done a good job of making me not want to see a really good fight. Like all these fights have been really good, but I'm just sick of it. Like, I mean, Make him fight someone else. I, I don't no. think he. I, and you specifically talking about that fight, or you say you don't see or want to see a really good fight? No, I'm saying. I'm saying they keep running that fight out. They need to have him fight somebody else. Gotcha. I don't want to yeah. see. It's not that the fights are bad; they're all good fights. I just don't want to see. Like I'd like to see him fight somebody else. Like. The, right. yeah, so when I they agree. fight, we gonna watch that Joe Crib. Uh, yeah, fuck yeah, man. I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, the, the the funny part is... Uh, no, don't threaten me with a good time, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm always down. I think that... Um, I feel you as far as I want to see it again. I can watch it again. I one of them people. It's funny. I don't remember what he was talking about, but earlier he said uh, Gotti Ward. And I love those Gotti Ward fights. And if they were still... like, I know he's alive, but you know what I mean? Like, if they were still... Well, he's not alive, but... Um, if they could still fight right now, I would watch them fight right now. And I would definitely watch uh, Moreno and Figueredo fight again uh, happily, especially, you know, I know he says 0-1-1, but, you know, I believe Moreno won, like, almost all the fights, basically. Um, so that's why they got a chance to keep fighting because keep, he keep winning, but they keep saying he lose. And the people know that he won, so then we got to see it again. Um, but um, 
to the one point when you said that you were surprised, it was two people I was, they didn't, well, I guess she did win, but that was just surprised they got a title fight. I was surprised that the Korean zombie got a title fight. I felt like he didn't even fight. And then the next time I seen him fought, it was a title fight. Like I thought he was retired or something. And um, and then I was definitely I was definitely surprised that Carla got a fight. I mean, a, a title fight uh, specifically. And it's not even if she deserved it or not. I can't even tell you if she did because she just felt so under the radar and so past. Right. So, you know, how you said she's a double champ. And I look at the fact that she was the champ for like 10 minutes. Right. I guess she's champ for 10 minutes both times because she won the fight on Ultimate Fighter. And then her first fight was against JJ. And then JJ beat the brakes off of her. And then she said she just went to obscurity for a long time to where she wasn't even in a mix. And if I were to come back around, it feels like 15 years later. I don't know how long it actually was um, to get that fight. I was surprised. I just want to throw this in, not double champ, but two-time champ, because she won the same belt, same weight class. The double champ is usually re- reserved for, you You know, you got a belt in two different weight classes, you know, same time. But, uh, yeah, um, Korean Zombie, um, you know, um, I think that was one of those, a lot of times it depends on how schedules work, you know what I mean, when you come back. And Korean Zombie was a really big name who, in my opinion, part of his career got court, got cut short because he um, he ended up having to leave MMA for like quite a few years because he had mandatory military service. So he had to leave and then he was in the military for a long time and then he came back. And, you know, he was still good when he came back and then uh, injury here or there, you know, but he he was never able to string together what you usually want to see, in my opinion, before a title fight, which is three solid wins and then title fight. But I just don't think that's the UFC rule anymore anyway. I just think, hey, we need a person. Let's put him in a title. <laughs> but uh, who else got something? Um, I was just going to I was going to work back from what Mark uh, from how they said about uh, Carlo, right? Like. It's crazy because she has that classic Rocky story where if she was able to be Zung, she would probably have a movie, you know, made about her life in the future, right? She got the brakes beat off, brakes beat off of her, and then she went on a quiet winning streak where she was just a straight-up workman. She wasn't saying nothing. She wasn't making calls. She wasn't asking shots. She just started beating, beating, beating people, beating people, and beating them soundly, too, in most cases. And then she got stopped again. I think with Davis and Figueroa and uh, Marlon, that was one of those interesting fights where we only got that trilogy because there was nobody else in the division that was a title contender at that point. Um, that's no longer true. I think there's a ton of title contenders in that division now. So, like, if that fight goes to a draw or there's a controversial win, we probably won't see a, a five, six, and seven of that matchup. Um, but to the original question of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, DC, do we expect, is the original question here because it was a long conversation? Will we see the same champions at the end of the year or just who would kind of be challengers of, the, of it? So that's kind of the next question. Right now it's just kind of like surprises or whatever based on what we saw in these uh, fights. Any uh-huh. surprise or anybody that you think shouldn't have even gotten a title shot. And then basically yeah. once we go through this, the next question we're actually going to go gotcha. over to 
The only person that got a title shot this year that shouldn't have not gotten it, ironically enough, is Alex Vieira. Like, I don't think he deserved a title shot. I don't think he is a top five fighter in that division. Now, he's the champion, which is crazy to say, right? Like, you had three fights, and two of them fights was against a no, no an unknown, and then Sean Strickland, who was quietly building up a little bit of ranking, and now you're the champion. I still don't, like, I, I know we talked about this on another podcast, but I don't know if Alex beats the top five of that division even like gives up a good fight in it like the fact that people think that um bobby knuckles is a sure shot to win that fight if they ever win it is crazy to me like and you're the champion so i think that's the only person that stands out um and then i think the only other one would be well that doesn't count for this year that's for next year so that that's my answer yeah i think with Pereira, the the issue is you know and this is always true about a knockout artist He's a knockout artist. Say what you want. It's, even if he can't match anybody else, let's say skill for skill, which I think he can with a lot of these guys, I don't think it matters because he's a knockout artist and he's so big for the weight class. I mean, Adesanya is considered big for the weight class, but it's more height and range. He has Adesanya's height and range but at fight time has like 15, 20 more pounds. That, when you're talking about skilled fighters, that's a problem for anybody, especially, you know, Whitaker's what, I think they give him six feet. He's probably not even six feet, <laughs> right? Um, Kananir's about 5'11". They're about the same height. You know what I mean? Who, who else do you got? You got uh, Vittori. I think he beats Vittori because uh, Vittori is going to come in, you know, more tough man style. I think he beats Vittori. Brunson, I don't see Brunson touching him. I see Brunson trying to go for takedowns, but I think the reason why Izzy was able to get takedowns is because Izzy's striking was very effective. You know, he his striking was very effective on Pereira. I don't see Brunson going in and – his striking being effective on Pereira. So I actually think Pereira could go on a run, but in my opinion, I don't know that Pereira wants to keep making that cut. That looked like that was a big cut for him. So if Jamahal Hill wins the light heavyweight title, I think what we're going to see is Pereira go up and challenge Jamahal Hill for that title. Now, if Glover gets the title, then I think that's a whole nother, you know, scenario. But I'll take that and roll over into actually like I'm sorry. I see you unmuted. I feel like he's almost a more he's almost a more legit contender at like heavyweight than he's a middleweight. Yeah, I, I agree, because he still has a size mismatch, but I think he has even more power at light heavyweight, you know what I mean? And we know that he can, you know, a lot of his um kickboxing career was was there um but that actually rolls me into the next thing so um i want to quickly go down a list of the current champions and i want to get at least two from everybody two people that they think either um you know won't be champion well two people that you think probably aren't going to be champion when this is over and um two people that you think 
definitely will be champion. You don't see anybody else beating him this year or whatever. So current champions at heavyweight, we got Engano. And I'm going to throw out their defenses too because you're going to see how new these titles are. Engano has one title defense. Uh, that's at heavyweight. Light heavyweight, as I mentioned, is vacant. Middleweight, we got Alex Pereira. Zero title defenses, just won the title. World to weight, we got Leon Edwards. Zero title defenses, just won the title. Lightweight, we got Islam Makachev. Zero title defenses, just won a title. At featherweight, we have Volk, but I believe he's abandoning that title. And he has three defenses. At uh, bantamweight, we have Aljamain Sterling, two title defenses. At flyweight, I don't even know who to call the champion. We got uh, Figueredo technically as the challenge, uh, as the uh, you know the title holder, but as the champ. But he didn't fight, and Moreno fought Cower France for the interim and won that. So, and. Figueredo had just won the title from Moreno, so he has zero title defenses. Women, we have featherweight. We're not even going to talk about that. That's Nunez. We already know what's going on there. Uh, Bantamweight, we have Nunez, zero title defenses. She just won it back. Flyweight, we have Shevchenko, seven title defenses, but seems like they can't get her any fights. Now, strawweight, we have Wade Lee, zero title defenses, just one. So, Two people that you think will be keeping their title. Two people that you think you don't see them keeping, you know, having that title when 2023 is over with. And we're actually going to mix it up. And I'm going to go with Locke first on this one. Of course you are. Uh, so the two two people is going to keep their titles. All right. All right. So... I think Aljamain Sterling is going to keep his title because he might not even fight. So that's the easiest way to keep your title right there. Triple C come back. They taking it from him and giving it to Triple C if he don't fight. <laughs> I don't know. I take. I think. Uh, I think Nunez. Nunez that. Uh, should no nobody's going to beat her. So I for sure would take her. And I'm going with Beecher Report. I don't think Shevchenko is going to. I think she's going to lose her belt too. The best number one champion. Disrespectful. No, just disrespectful. no more. So she put her over in my lose it list, and uh, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Leon Edwards keeps his title. I think he's got like the Alex Pierre thing. You know what I mean? Once you once you kick the dude in the head, and uh, you know he's always gonna remember it, and I think he'll win decisively. <laughs> so that's who I'm gonna take to win. I like it. I like it. Eric, who you got? Um, two to retain their title. Uh, probably going to go with Alex Volkanovsky. I think he's going to go up to 155 and lose to Islam, who's the second person I think retains his title. And then afterwards, he'll return to 145 and decide to retain to defend that title. Um, and then two to lose it. Same with Leon Edwards and Alex Pereira. Um, I really like Leon. I just think that it's a really tough division. And I think that when you look at, like, anyone in the top five, seeing him run through two or three of them wouldn't necessarily be surprising, but it'd be a tall task, you know? So, um, yeah. I like it. 
Who you got, TJ? I wish you, I wish you would have went last because I was ready to go down every single division and just get my thoughts on it. Um, uh, I agree with you. I think. Oh, you're muted. You're muted. Oh my bad. Hold that thought. Okay, we're gonna go to Holiday first. Okay. <laughs> Holiday, who you got? All right. So my first one is really a complete fantasy, but I'm thinking Gano gonna lose his belt if he ever fight John Jones. <laughs> But I don't know if John Jones is ever going to fight. That's why I say it's probably a fantasy. But assuming that they actually fight, uh, I think Gano is going to lose his belt. Um, <clears throat> I feel like Nunez is going to lose her belt too. Um, it's something about when I feel like when you like a champ for a long time, you go on a nice reign, and then you finally do get that loss, even though she advanced her loss. I think it's like when people see that crack in their armor, it just it just happens. It's like some NFL running back type stuff. Um, and I know you just said too, <laughs> but I think that Wei Lee gonna lose her belt too. Um, and just going back to your point, now I don't have like an actual specific reason besides that I just think that division is so tough, and the way that they go back and forth. Um, I think that and then. You know, when she fought JJ, I was like, ah, oh, it's amazing. And then she fought Rose, and it was like, I mean, we know how Rose do. You know, Rose just beat everybody who could beat somebody and then beat nobody who can't nobody beat. But you know how that goes. But yeah. it just didn't look, it didn't, she didn't look as uh, dominant as I thought that maybe that she would be. Um, and then as far as keeping it, I do believe that Aljo is going to keep his. Um, I think going to the opposite point when I say with the Nunez thing, and I, I forgot who said it. I, Feel like Locke said it, but um, um, when something happens, when you turn that corner, so we all know he was losing the fight, right? Got this, or you know, other got disqualified, so he wins. But then when he comes back, he like took it, you know what I mean? And I think when you turn that corner, that's like a whole nother run that you' about to have, you know. Um, so that's kind of how I look at that. And then I'm missing somebody else going to say something about. I don't remember. So I'm just going to leave it there. I mess with it. TJ, what you got? You you say you run the whole yeah. gamut. What you y'all got to tell me to shut up if I get too crazy here. But just, just don't here's listen, the deal. Just don't go too detailed into each one. And then you nah, run the I'm going to just touch gamut. on the top. Here's the deal. Francis isn't the champion next year, not because he loses, because he never defends his belt. I think Jones beats Surreal Gone by decision. He's the heavyweight champion mid-year, if not by the end of the year. Going down light heavyweight, I think Alex Pereira is the light heavyweight champion at the end of the year. I think if Jamel, I'm not going to try to pronounce that name the way you pronounce it, but if Jamel Hill wins, I still think Alex beats him because he's hittable. Um, if 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 uh, Glover wins, I think he retires after that belt. Glover understands that he's not he's not top of the food chain anymore. I think if he wins the belt and that's a winnable fight for him, he retires on a high note. If he loses, Alex revenges that. I think Izzy can beat Alex at 185 again, but I have a feeling that Alex will likely drop that title before he defends it against uh, Izzy just to fuck with him. And that if he does that, that is the most gangster move ever, and I'll respect him forever. Like, I beat you three he times. He said that, too. If I, you remember, I, he said, I don't want to beat this guy again, so I might just leave. That shit will be, I don't know if this is a troll in me, but that shit will be amazing. He would become under one favorite fighter of all time if he was to pull that move off. Uh, I still think Leon Edwards wins. I think he beats, uh, I think he beats Usman. 
I think he beats uh, Kobe. I think he actually will beat Kamzat. I know people think that's crazy, but I think he will outstrike Kamzat. And I think Kamzat is so reliant on his wrestling with his shitty-ass striking that he would think, like, oh, I could just take him down. And we've seen that Leon has the ability not to defend takedowns, but survive being outgrappled, right? Um, Islam, I think Volk beats Islam. I know everybody swear up and down that it's going to be an easy win. I think Volk wins by decision. I think he drops the title. I think he drops the 145 division. I think Max is, is the champion of 145 at the end of the year, but I'm hoping that's his last year competing because I think he's like brain damaged at this point, but I think he's a champion at, at the year. Um, I don't see anyone, whether it's Triple C, Peter Young, or Sean beating uh, Al Jermaine. If he chooses to stay at that division, but I think he's going to move up to 145, I think he's going to get his ass whipped at 145. That's my opinion. I think he's not ready for that jump yet, but I think if he stays at his current division, he's the champion. Brandon Moreno's the champion. He'll remain the champion. Um, and then I kind of don't want to go into the women's division because I just feel like it's not a deep enough division to have a real conversation about. I, I spoke really quickly there. No, I messed with it. You, you did phenomenal. I messed with it. Yeah, um... Yeah, I mean, I think everybody gave some real good insight. It was nothing in there that I really would disagree with because I think all of them were really plausible things. Even Holiday, like what you said was far-fetched. I don't think that's far-fetched, you know, with, with John Jones getting the title and beating Ngano. I also don't think it's far-fetched that Ngano just never signs. He hasn't signed yet, right? Um, so – I don't think any of those are far-fetched. I think it was some good stuff. I would say, um, you know, if I look at it, I don't think Ngano, one way or another, is going to have the title when the year is over. And, um, you know, a part of that, you know, uh, a collective is powerful. And um, were you about to say something, Locke? Uh, no, sorry. Okay. Um a collective is powerful, and I think they had a powerful alliance with uh, Usman, Ngano, and, and uh, Adesanya. And, you know, two parts of that collective is gone. And I don't think uh, Ngano is far behind. As far as light heavyweight, I do think Pereira is going to go up and get that. And I think it's the right weight class for him. Uh, middleweight, I think uh, Izzy takes it back. And I think at some point, uh, Pereira's going to win two, three fights at light heavyweight after getting the title. Uh, Izzy's going to go back to his reign at middleweight, and then we see that fight again, and Izzy stays busy, so it only takes a year for Izzy to get three fights in, so we could be seeing that part two at a catchweight or something else in 2024, easily. Um, at welterweight, I don't see Leon keeping that title only because I still just think it's such a wrestling heavy division when you get to the top. And although I agree with TJ that he can defend, I just don't know if it, it when you get down on points like that and you got somebody that decides they're never going to stand with you, they're only going to take you down. It just dis doesn't give leeway that Avenue that he needs to get the strike off to win. Um, Lightweight is a tough one. Um, I like Makachev. I think he did good. But I also, you know, Volkanovski is one of those people where I said I doubted him so many times that I'm just not going to doubt him anymore. He finds a way to win. I can't tell you I understand it. It's not a precise. He just finds a way to win. 
So I'm not I'm not going to count him out. And um, you know, even though he's he's a thicker guy for the weight class that he's at, we know he's not a very tall guy, but he also seems like he cuts a nice amount of weight to get down to 45. So I'm interested in seeing the package he brings at 55. Um, at featherweight, um, I don't see him going back to featherweight. And if he doesn't go back, we already know Max has shown time and time again, other than somebody named Volkanowski, he's the king of featherweight. Uh, to your point, uh, TJ, I would love to see him retire. I'm one of those people that always say, I like to see my, I don't want to see my champions just go out on their shield, get their brains beat in. I want to see them retire with enough sense to be able to talk to their grandkids, right? Bantamweight, Aljo. Listen, I love Aljo. I'm a fan. But if Triple C come back, it's going to be a long day for Aljo. That's all I'm going to say. If Triple C does not come back or something happens where that fight doesn't happen, I don't see anybody else in the division beating him. But, uh, yeah, Triple C is in... Triple C's been doing, you know, he's been training with DJ also to learn some of those techniques they've been rubbing off on each other. So I think Triple C may even come back with a whole different package that Aljo's team has never seen and hasn't been able to prepare for. And we've seen him switch it up before, right? Um, flyweight, Moreno, man. I, I, I'm going with Moreno at the end of the year. I think he's the best person in the division. And I personally am one of the ones that believed he won all of those fights against Figueredo. Uh, the women, we're not going to talk about featherweight. Bantamweight, I see Nunez keeping it, but I see Nunez retiring, honestly. As I mentioned, her wife already retired. They got a new baby. If you remember in the Pena fight, she part of the reason why she said she lost was all of that. She said family life and everything took over. Her wife just retired. I see her maybe defending one time and retiring. So I don't think she'll be the champ at the end, but not because she loses. I think she retires. Uh, Valentina, nobody's beating the best number one champion. Put it in the books. Uh, and then Strawweight, that's a toss-up. If they go ahead and put Rose back in that fight with Roy Lee, Rose wins. And if they put Carly in the fight with Rose, Rose loses. I have no idea who's going to end on that one. So... Anything else anybody else wanted to touch on for that? Nothing else. Okay, I'm going to ask. I have one final thing that's on a sad note that I'm going to throw out there. And then after that, pretty much the, the floor is going to be open for anything that somebody may want to talk about. Because that pretty much we hit everything that I wanted to talk about. Uh, predictions, past fights, everything. But I do want to acknowledge... We lost a lot of uh, fighters, uh, unfortunately, um, in 2022. Uh, a lot of big names, some that's not so much big names. When I looked it up to find the list, the list was way larger than what I wanted to go over on this show. Uh, but I did want to hit a few of them. Um, so one of them is, and I, I'm going to butcher the first name, but uh, Michael Falco, uh, he was an M1 a UFC and a Bellator fighter. Uh, we lost him in 2022. Judo Gene LaBelle, um, if you don't know about him, just look him up. Pioneer for, you know, judo, but not just judo. Uh, really kind of a, a mixed martial arts pioneer. 
uh, Elias Theodora, UFC veteran, uh, Antonio Inoki, which, um, you know, his biggest claim to fame was he actually fought uh, Muhammad Ali in what is called one of the first early MMA fights, crossover fights. So um, we lost Anthony Rumble Johnson, UFC World Series of Fighting Bellator veteran. We lost uh, Jason David Frank, who was the Green Ranger for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And he actually started going down the path of an MMA career. And it's funny, luck because I remember me and you talking about it many years ago, but he never really broke out into that pro career. But we lost him. Stephen Bonner, uh, UFC, you know, as we talked about, he's one of the reasons why we even can watch these great fights in the UFC right now. And then uh, one of the last ones and the youngest one on the list, I believe she was only 18 years old, Victoria Lee. As everybody knows, I'm a big fan of one. And uh, she signed with one at like 16, 15 or something like that. But her whole family is fighters. Her sister, Angela Lee, is uh, an weight champion uh, for a women's division. Her brother, Christian Lee, is both the lightweight and the welterweight champion currently. And so literally they had three uh, members of the family in one and two of them were champions. And the way Victoria Lee was progressing, she was going to be champion. So um, I just want to give a quick five seconds of silence for them. And my condolences to, you know, all the fighters' families. Okay. With that said, sorry about that said note, but did want to put that out there. I want to leave the floor open for anything anybody else wanted to throw out there before we wrap it up. Nothing. Nobody's got no, no, uh, holiday no. my, unmuted. My stuff went okay. on mute. Your thing, you got to press mute 17 times. But yeah, yeah, user error, y'all computers <laughs> broke. I just want to say this it ain't, it's not really a what's name, but earlier you said, um, best camps and all that. And I didn't come in at all on the camps because I never really know the camps. I'm not one of them people who really like know the camps. I'd be like, who is this guy? Where well, I see this guy all the time, whatever, but I don't be knowing the camps. But the only thing I do want to say is, I don't think. I, not, I ain't gonna make that statement. This statement I'm gonna make. AT and T or uh, ATT ruined JJ career. This is the this is what I want to say. All right, she would not be retired right now if she was still in her old camp or found another camp. Cause I know she was having personal problems in her old camp, which is why she left. But it was like she was so good that when she wasn't as good, she was still good. But it was such a drop off from when she switched camps. And some of the some of the simplest things that like me and you had this uh, conversation personally, but it would be things that she did all the time, and that she literally went to never doing them, which blows my mind. Now I'm not a professional fighter, never been a professional fighter, but I feel like if you have something, even if you go somewhere new, and you take on what they have, you should still be able to pull out your bag. But the example I want to give, what I used to love about her is she ended all breaks with elbows. Her last, like, three or four fights, I don't even think she threw elbows. And I'm talking about every time she was in, like, a break, it was always the elbow, always the elbow. And then it went to a point where she never threw elbows. And it was just like, 
her striking flatlined as soon as she went to AT and T, and then she seemed like she became less of a combination fighter when she was at AT and T. Did she? I don't know. I don't even know where she was before. So let me say that much. But wherever she was before, her she'd have been the greatest of all times, best number one champion. She never left there, and I blame them for everything. And that's it. <laughs> this is the only thing I want to say. I could never go to Florida because this has come up so many times on the podcast, and you know, ATT has six thousand fighters. And I believe you're trying to get me jumped. That's all I'm going to say. But I agree. And I've said this before on the podcast. I think the difference is you have varied styles of the broad concept of kickboxing. And the broad concept in my mind of kickboxing includes American kickboxing, Dutch style, and Muay Thai. And whoever her initial trainers were, she had a combination, a very deadly combination of Dutch style with Muay Thai. And I think um, ATT is a little bit closer to American style kickboxing. And in American style kickboxing, it's a lot less of the elbows and the knees it's a lot more of the punching and, you know, everything like that. And so I think she lost a little bit there. Um, There are camps I think she probably could have went to that could have took what she had and enhanced it and not taken away. But, um, you know, a lot of times people make these choices and there's proximity and you see big camps and then you think about who else I have to train with and everything like that. But, you know, I don't disagree with you. ATT, I love you. Whatever I said, you know, it is it's it's not right. Don't don't send your goons after me. But uh <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't I don't I don't disagree with that. TJ, I see you unmuted. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a classic argument of specialists trying to get outside of their specialty. Um and she chose a camp because she thought she had a, a deficiency in wrestling. That camp focused only on her wrestling. And if you don't train your natural skill, you start to lose it over time. And we saw her lose it, not just like to, to DC's point, like, I mean, sorry, to Holiday's point, like she wasn't using her elbows, her knees on the out. She wasn't even setting up her leg kicks. She used to set up her combinations with crazy leg kicks. And then she would come in with a combination, right? She started fighting as if she was a wrestler learning to strike again. And that kind of ruined her. And we seen. We've seen that camp do that to multiple fighters, not just her. I think Mike Brown was a perfect example of that as well at one point, even though like he ended up going on to be one of their better coaches. So to that point, I think as a fighters or as we start to see this sort of next wave of fighters coming in for this new generation, don't fall in love with one style or the other. Go go to go to the wheelhouse with you know, go bring what bring the partner that brought you to the dance. Stick with that partner. Learn a couple of new moves, but stick with the partner that brought you to the dance, right? Leon Edwards kickboxing is what got him through that fight. Yes, he trained wrestling. Yes, he learned it, but he went back to his wheelhouse and he won that fight. If he'd have done what Joanna did, which is only stuck to wrestling because that's what he thought he needed, he would have lost that fight. You know what I'm saying? And then we seen it on the other side with Kobe not being able to get past Kamar because he thinks that he has to outstrike Kamar and not wrestle with him. So he doesn't even attempt to wrestle. So it's wrestle, wrestle. But, you know, to that point, it's just really like, we need more special specialists in the UFC in this next generation and more people committed to their specialty. 
Yeah, I I agree. And um, um, yeah, Mike Brown is one of those people that um, I'll probably end up doing um, like a um, he's a he's a perfect candidate for a gloves and roses, especially because when he transitioned over to uh, um, a trainer over at AT and T. ATT, he's probably one of the um, one of the best trainers over there, um, and you know most people would not even know him, but he was a monster in the WEC. Um, but what's funny about that? Another Brown that I think she actually could have went to train with it. I don't think people would have thought of it like this, but um, I think if she went to train with Matt Brown, I think Matt Brown because of his style and his outlook he would have been able to help add wrestling to her repertoire without getting rid of the elbows and stuff, because that was his specialty already. And I think her style of fighting was a more crisp version of his style of striking. And so I don't think he would have taken away. I think he still would have been able to keep her where she was at with her striking, but now add wrestling and I think her striking where it was at before, I still don't think we have that in one fifteen anywhere. I and think I think does, if you could, he does a lot of that applicable strength training too, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. throwing barrels and shit like yeah, that. A lot of alternative things. Let me throw one more thing and I'm gonna pass it over to you. Um um shoot, I think I lost it. Um yeah, go ahead. I have one I'm more sorry, point. I'm sorry, because I don't even have anything no. else. I just wanted to say that one thing. Damn it. See, see how people do They just interrupt your whole stuff with nothing to say. <laughs> In my defense, you've been talking for a long time. I, I actually hadn't. We were going back and forth. But, yeah, of course. Why not? But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Um, at the end of the day, I, I totally agree. And I think there's certain camps that you should go to that should be able to add certain things, but not taking certain things away. So you should look at if your striking is already a certain way. I don't think that you completely change the striking. And I think ATT striking is far away from the combination of Dutch style and Muay Thai. And I think that was the mistake. Anything else? Okay, great. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we actually put in almost two hours on this on this uh, podcast, which is not normal. So, of course, I want to thank my co-host, which is always here a lot. I want to thank TJ for coming on. He's probably our, our, our third guy. He's been on more than anybody else. I want to thank Holiday for coming on. And I want to thank Eric for coming on all the way from the West Coast with us. So, uh, I very much appreciate you fellas. And by the way, and this part I actually might cut out of the snippet, but uh, we end up having to change up the logo a bit. So um, my frequent flyers, as you guys are, I'll probably be sending you all new merch. And at some point in time, we'll have some merch out for everybody else. But I've been going through growing pains that people don't know about, including having to switch up the logo a little bit and holidays holding up his shirt, which he already has, but I got to get him out well with the new logo on it. So, um, but other than that, thank you, gentlemen. Thank all of our listeners and come again.
That wraps up another great Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at topic at fatboymma.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>